Hi everyone, welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen problems in their homes. This is Olivia Kernikan, and I am so glad you're joining us today. If you're one of our regular listeners, welcome back. And if you are a new friend, we are so glad you found us. You are no longer alone on this journey of navigating screens in your home, and you have found your people. You're about to hear an interview Melanie Hempe did with Dr. Victoria Dunkley a few years ago, where they discussed the effects of electronic screen syndrome in kids and teens, the medical benefits of a screen detox, and proven solutions for a successful screen strong challenge. For more information about the challenge, check the show notes for this episode or listen to the end for more information. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. This is Melanie Hempe with Screen Strong. I am so excited today for our interview. We have Victoria Dunkley with us, Dr. Victoria Dunkley, and she is the author of Reset Your Child's Brain in, in Meltdowns, Raise Grades, and Boost Social Skills by Reversing the Effects of Electronic Screen Time. Welcome, Victoria. I'm so Thank glad you, you're Melanie. here. I'm Thank so excited. You. Yeah, me too. Yeah, this is so exciting. I've known you for so many years, and I'm just so happy that we're finally able to jump on this kind of platform. And um, we have so many people that are waiting to hear (laughs) this um, recording. So, Victoria, give us a little bit about your background and just your schooling and then your work. And how did you get to the point in your career where you felt like you had to write this book for the world? Uh, well, I'm an integrative child psychiatrist, so that means I, you know, I look at everything from lifestyle factors to hormones, nutrition, everything like that. Um, but I have found that addressing screen time is makes a bigger impact in any, than any other any of these other interventions. So I, I first became interested in this topic when when I first finished my residency and fellowship in child psychiatry back in the early 2000s. And I was working with really tough cases with kids who are in the foster care system, um, group homes, residential treatment centers, like the toughest cases in the state. And all of those kids, uh, they all had a history of trauma. So they'd go into fight or fight very easily. And I noticed with those kids, because some of them lived on site, if they played a video game, they would act out afterwards. You know, they'd become aggressive, throwing things, hitting other kids. They'd have huge meltdowns. And finally, one day I was like, why are we letting them play video games? They're already so stressed out. And (laughs) one of the houses (laughs) agreed to to remove the video games. And lo and behold, all the behavior issues dropped by 30% in the home. And they were tracking, you know, behavior incidents. So that was the first objective measure I I could really see. Wow. So you had that that, was like an experiment that you... Totally, yeah. And it was hard to get even the staff on board, but one of the, you know, they did it and... Luckily, that you know, it was a way to really document it. Um, and then I started implementing the same intervention in my private practice, which was, you know, at that time, it was really just video games, um, just to get rid of video games. And I, I noticed whether the kid had ADHD or tics or bipolar disorder or anxiety, that everything tended to get better, much better uh, when we removed everything. And then I started to realize, and some of these kids, you know, it turned out they didn't even have a diagnosis or didn't need medication. Wow. So I started to realize it was really that the, the screen time really was a stressor and it impacted it, them in a way that was really like a, a stress disorder. 
Wow. And you just saw that like right before your eyes. <laughs> right. Right. So then, then you just, what did you start doing? You started getting into more of the research and then you coined this electronic screen syndrome phrase that I love. And so talk about that a minute. Talk about how yeah, that. So I kept out. kind of seeing the same picture of these kids who looked very revved up. They were very irritable. They couldn't concentrate. They were very defiant, very agitated. And as soon as I, you know, would get a phone call from a parent, I would immediately know what was going on even before I saw the kid. Um, and so I started to realize that, you know, there was kind of this syndrome going on and there was like a constellation of, of symptoms that happened. It looked, it varied, you know, some kids look different than other kids, but at the height of it or at the, the core of it was the, um, the heightened arousal. So there were all this hyper arousal state, much like kids who, you know, have a history of trauma. They're always in that high arousal state and when you're in that high arousal state the frontal lobe shuts down and the frontal lobe controls everything from mood regulation uh, to executive functioning creativity uh, kindness empathy everything that makes us human so you just right. look more primitive um so is that hyper arousal state that's sort of like the fight flight area exactly. of yes. your brain and so for moms and dads that are out there listening to this it's it's what you recognize in your home that you, you say, okay, my kid looks like a different kid. Like this isn't my kid. Like when they're playing video games, they get in that, that weird <laughs> state that makes them um, do things and say things and throw things <laughs> and kind of, right. but that's what you're talking about. So, cause I, I think it's really important to touch on that because um, it, it's a thing that happens in their brain. It's like parts of their brain are shutting down and yeah. um, other parts are being, so um, they're being like hyper stimulated. And I remember reading about that the first time when I read your book, it made so much sense to me because of our background, you know, our oldest child had so much trouble with video games. We had no idea of what all that was, but, but go ahead and, and um, start from there again with that hyper arousal. I think this is kind of new for parents that are listening. So initially, my, my, you know, like I said, my background was really dealing with those kids that were in a state of hyperarousal because of their background of trauma and neglect. Okay. Um, so, but what happens with, with screen time is that it activates that fight or flight response. So because it's so stimulating and exciting, the brain interprets it as a form of stress. So every time a child picks up a device and interacts with that device, there's all these different mechanisms that, that occur that acts synergistically to raise arousal levels. So it's really acting like a stimulant. Mm -hmm. um, so one thing that happens is the reward pathways get very intensely activated and dopamine gets released. And then over time, the pathways get desensitized, which is also stressful. Then there's the, all the sensory input, the colors are vivid, the, the pace, you know, there's lots of things moving on the screen. Um, and then there's the psychological stimulation. Um, you know, all the rewards from that and, and cognitively it's stimulating as well. Um, then there's the light. So the, there's blue and white light coming from any screen that mimics the sky and tells us it's daytime, be on the alert. So that in turn desynchronizes the body clock, um, which also stresses the body. And then there's the multitasking that goes on. Those, that also increases arousal and, and stresses and depletes the cognitive reserves. And also radiation does this too, right? There's, there's evidence that the radiation from, um, from Wi-Fi and cell phone signals right. um, causes the same fight or flight response as, as well as lowering melatonin and desynchronizing the clock. So all these things, you know, just one of those things could, could cause 
symptoms, but all of them together, you know, act synergistically to raise that arousal level. Right. Um, so what happens with that is when you do that day in and day out, you know, really that fight or flight response is meant to only happen occasionally when we're in danger. And then we would discharge all that energy by either running away or fighting, right? right? So now instead of that happening, we have this mismatch. So that happens, but there's no discharge. So it just gets pent up. And so the kid either acts out or it's internalized as anxiety or depression or, or, or um, physically. So that stress, you know, it doesn't go anywhere. It just stays in the body. Mm -hmm. um, so and that's probably kind of where you get, you see like the meltdowns and yes. um, the acting out. And I think in, in normal situations, even without too much gameplay, I think a parent understands, hey, my kids need to get their energy out. Things are right. just getting too hot in the room, <laughs> yes. you know, and you need to get them outside and playing. I think we naturally know that that's, normal mm -hmm. for kids to have to do that. So that's fascinating to see that connection. Yeah, and I think parents forget that too, because I think they, they really are in tuned into that when the kids are young, like toddlers, like, you know, my kid needs to get their energy out. They need to be at the park. They know that their kid has a great day when they go to the beach or they're in the mountains or something. And then the kid sleeps really hard, <laughs> but you forget that when they're teenagers that, you know, they still need that. It's the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Well, or even when they're, you know, seven and eight, nine years old, I mean, if they're parked in front of a screen, they're not getting their energy out. Right. At all. So the electronic screen syndrome is sort of this wonderful term that you, you, you coined, right? And it kind of describes the difference between your basic healthy balanced use and this overuse. And I, and I love how you just described all that, how, you know, what it looks. So, so if you have a, a child that has an ADHD diagnosis or an autism diagnosis, how does that play in to the syndrome? How, how does that work together? So basically any child that has an underlying disorder is going to be more vulnerable to the effects of screen time. So those kids already have those same, those same systems are already vulnerable. So for example, both ADHD and autism, their body clock is, is not, um, it's not as strong or it might be desynchronized. They tend to have lower melatonin. Um, so when, when that gets impacted, it just, it just makes things that much worse. It's adding fuel to the fire. They already have problems with executive functioning. They already have problems switching tasks. They already have problems with mood regulation and they tend to be in a high state of arousal. So when you, you add a stimulant on top of that, wow. all of those things just become worse. So a lot of parents say, well, I know that my child already had these symptoms before we introduced the iPad, but it's just adding fuel to the fire. It's like trying to control asthma while smoking. You know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. like your, your kid might still have asthma, but they're never going to get better if they're, if they're smoking. But why do so many doctors, it seems um, um, that many recommend, you know, this screen time. And a lot of parents tell me, well, the iPad time is the only time where they can calm down. Mm -hmm. So why does that look like they're calming down when they're on the screen, if they have these symptoms? Well, I think um, when it looks like they're calming down, it, it's because you know, it does draw them in. So they're engaged and they're still, so right. it might look like they're calm and you're occupying them, 
And then the parent's like, oh, I can get something done. So there's lots of like psychological things that go into that too that makes it look like they're calm, calming down. Mm-hmm. Um, but meanwhile, behind the scenes, you know, and for the first few minutes, they may actually relax a little bit because they're, they're fully focused. Mm-hmm. But then as all of those stress mechanisms occur, then behind the scenes, we have that mismatch going on. And it's building. And, and it's building. And we call it, I remember in our house, I mean, it was like a coma. I, it would be like, oh my gosh, my kid, they're, they're, he's in a coma, you know, and it, because they're so immersed yeah. and, you know, it's not really good for kids to be in comas. <laughs> I yeah. mean, but that was how I described it. But then if you barely got near him or one of the other kids kind of like, you know, threatened his screen somehow, he would just lash out. Like he was totally in a flow state and he was just in this other world. And so I see now, and after reading your book and understanding all this stuff that it looks like they're calmed down, but they're not, they're very easily agitated and um, just like a volcano getting ready to erupt. Yeah. That's a really good point because I think parents think, especially if they're using it either as a babysitter or as a, um, a way to just control behavior. They're like, Oh, it gives me a moment, but it's really just making things worse. So it's really, it's key to understand that concept. And the only way that you really get it is when you remove everything and then you see all those things get better. Right. So we're going to talk about the detox in just a second, but, um, just, just quickly summarize then what, excessive screen time does. And and really it's not all about time. It's about content. It's about the type of activity they're doing. I tell people all the time, I don't really ever see parents complaining about their kids being addicted to like an Excel spreadsheet program or something. You know, they're (laughs) going to be more attracted to the Fortnite video games and, um, you know, social media, but explain just in a nutshell for our um, parents, you know, what it does to their brain, and then what it does to their physical body. So you did just sort of talk about the brain part, mm-hmm. um, just the, the kind of shutdown of that frontal activity. Um, are, is there anything else in the brain that happens? And then discuss a minute about physically in their body itself. Like what other changes do you see? Um, well, one, one thing that you were just talking about was from, um, in my experience, the biggest difference is, is between interactive and passive screen time. And I forgot to mention that actually is one of the mechanisms that causes that raises arousal is the interactivity. So marketers know that even, you know, on the team, even with passive marketing, they still want to engage in some way and make it interactive. Um, So that's how they keep the eyes on the screen. So we know that increases arousal. We also, and I was seeing that personally, like I could tell if I took them, if I took the kids off every interactive type, but they had a little bit of TV, they were, they would, reset but if if we left a little bit of the interactive in it wouldn't work it wouldn't work the same way Mm -hmm. so um so that to me that's the biggest difference so that even educational screen time it's if it's interactive you're still causing that same storm and if if you look at the mechanisms it's really about the light the sensory input the reward pathways none of those are really content specific you know those things happen with everything Right. including educational screen time, including um, flipping through photos, which seems really benign or, right. you know, posting on social media. So, right. so that to me is the biggest difference. So if it's, um, 
if it's past the screen time, it still needs to be slow paced, you know, mm. preferably non-animated. And it, you know, it doesn't mean that TV still does cause things, but it doesn't cause things in the same way. Right. And there's, there's several studies showing that um, even just two hours of t TV versus the computer, the computer time causes more issues with sleep. They did EEG studies on the, on the brain during sleep and as well as the cognition the, the following day. So that was just one episode of two hours of computer versus TV. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so scary. Um, but back to your, I'm sorry, back to your question. So, okay. so in the body, um, there's, you know, first of all, it affects posture. As I'm sitting here, I keep trying to remind myself to sit up, but we, we, we tend to naturally draw, the head comes forward and we hunch over toward the screen. Um, and then the eyes, you know, the, especially when it's very, a very close screen. So it's, people talk about um, kids becoming nearsighted, but to me, that's not even the, the biggest, scariest issue. The other issue is that it just causes inflammation in the retina. So we're wow. seeing retina um, inflammation and macular degeneration in young adults now that that didn't used to happen before. Yeah. Uh, but we're also seeing a lot of repetitive movement issues. Um, you know, we see a lot of kids with that curved upper spine now. So it just does a lot of things physically. And we also know that screen time causes weight gain. It increases blood pressure. It raises blood sugar. It raises cholesterol, even if you're exercising. So they have, you know, if, if, if you have two families and one of them or two kids and one of them is exercising, but they're still having screen time, that kid will be, um, will have all of those issues more so than a child that doesn't have that interactive screen time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so there's a lot of, there's a lot to think about not just the brain issues but the physical issues and then of course the sleep issues and the family right. attachment issues and it goes yeah. on and on so we um are very excited about your um recommendations for the detox to take you know 30 days off um at screen strong we have our seven day start to this detox, our screen strong challenge just to get parents on board because a lot of times they think, oh, I can't take a month off, but maybe I could take seven days. And so it's just kind of a little baby step for them to get on. But let, let's shift and talk about some solutions and just some um, practical lifestyle things. Because obviously I'm assuming, I mean, I'm assuming that you realize that, you know, um, we all have screens in our house yeah. <laughs> and, and we can't go completely screen free. Um, I know get confused about that sometime with our audience and they're like, Oh, are you screen free? I'm like, well, no, we're not screen free, but we're getting rid of the bulk of the yes. interactive screens that are really going to hurt our kids. And of course, then mm. not to mention the layers of content that you get with, you know, the violent content or the adult content on, um, phones and, and video games. But let's talk about, um, the, the detox or, you know, the, just how to help parents pull back. And I want you to specifically address sort of the difference in the, the detox with kids that are young versus kids that are like older than maybe puberty and older, because it's harder. It's like you're dealing with almost two different things there. Um, with younger kids, it obviously is a little bit easier Mm -hmm. um, but explain about just the neuronal pruning in maybe a minute. And why is it that when puberty hits, things get a little bit harder? Okay. Well, I think in, in terms of logistics, mm -hmm. um, with the kids, you know, it's definitely easier to just have that, have the conversation with them. The parents feel more comfortable, um, telling them what to do, um, instead of having them on board. 
But to me, it's really the same. It's just, it's really still about convincing the parent that it's going to, that it's going to be helpful to them. Mm -hmm. um, convincing the parent that, that their life will be better, that their child be functioning better and happier and that the parent will be happier and less stressed. So it's, it's, um, and it's still about setting, you know, setting up replacement activities mm -hmm. and the attachment piece, you know, the bonding piece is, is extremely important. One of the things we know from the brain Im imaging studies is that addictions of all kinds and including screen addiction um, is that it hijacks the social reward pathways. Mm -hmm. So when you remove that, you have to replace it with something else. And also the bonding is actually protective against all forms of addiction. So, um, so not only from a practical level do you have to replace it with spending time with your child, but from um, a neurophysiological level at, in terms of re, you know, reinforcing those pathways again, and that's protective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, so as a child gets older, because a lot of times parents, um, they kind of cruise through those elementary school years, and maybe there's some problems here and there, but then they hit middle school, and they have a 14-year-old, and now they're starting to really understand that he's dropping out of life, or that their 14-year-old daughter is is getting very stressed and anxious around our social media and all that. And then we, and then they come and they say, okay, we need to do this detox. We need to reset their brain. Um, what makes it harder? Why, why is it harder for older kids? Well, I think what I hear a lot about is that it's the social thing, you know, all of the kids, you know, the, the way they socialize is through video games or through right. social media, through texting every day. So that to me is um, the mm. biggest thing is just helping the parent realize like, you know, first of all, this is, we're just doing, we're just resetting the brain first. We don't have to worry about everything at the same time. Yeah, that's um, a great point. <laughs> we know how to do it all so in one day. Yeah. Like when you go into the hospital, the first, you know, you just want to get better and right. stabilize first, right? Right. Um, yeah. But now then, that's, a, that's a really good point because I think a lot of parents are just thinking globally and they're like, oh my yeah. gosh, I'm going to take all their friends away. I'm like, no, no, you're you've got to reset. So there's right. that period of time where there has to be change. Otherwise it's not going to get better. So. Right. Right. And then, you know, if ideally they can, if the, the if a teenager can get another friend to get with them, that would be great. But honestly, with most of the families I work with, that doesn't happen. So, you know, and they, and they can still do it. Right. Um, but I do have, Quite a few families, and I've heard this from other parents too, but even in other from other countries too, um, that their child starts talking on the phone more. So if they have good friends, you know, who are willing to kind of, and sometimes the kids are funny and they just think it's they think it's like an old-fashioned thing to do to talk on the phone. Yeah. Um, you can get kids talking on the phone, and of yeah. course, spending time face to face, which is you know a little harder during the pandemic, of course. Right. Um, but but. Even if you don't have any of that, if you're spending time, you know, if the parents or other family members are spending time with a child, that's really what you need. Like that, you know, spending time with a friend is really kind of icing on the cake. You don't have to do it that way. Right. Um, but I think the other thing is, um, I think that you were alluding to is, is really that window in puberty. It's, it's really when that window goes by, um, I mean, the, the window really has to do with them developing interests. And there's a lot of um, pruning going on. You're, you're losing certain pathways if they're not doing those things during that window. So if all they know is video games during that window, it's a little harder, not impossible, 
um, to get them interested in other things later. Right. No, that makes sense. It's kind of the pay now or pay later, or it's, um, mm -hmm. we lose what we don't use. So if your kids aren't getting interested in things early on, then it's, they can still, but it is going to be harder. And so with the detox, um, I think the ideal time obviously to do it is the younger, the better. Um, you know, if, if you have a third grader who's, you know, you realize is just spending too many hours, um, on their video games or their phone, um, or the iPad, it seems like the iPad, it feels mm -hmm. like parents a lot today. Yeah. See the iPad as being bad. They um, see maybe the phone is bad and the video game is bad, but oh, we'll just give them an iPad. I'm like, wait a minute, that, that's yeah. the same thing. <laughs> it's oh, not yeah. worse because it has all of it on, on there. It's worse. So. I feel like it's more addictive too because I don't know why, but I just, it seems like most of the stories I hear, okay. is, I always like to do a timeline, like a device timeline. Like when did you start seeing problems and when did they get a phone? When did, they get, when did the iPad come into the home? And that really is eye-opening for parents because they can see, oh, the iPad came in here. It was a gift for Christmas. And then within a year, things yeah. have fallen apart. Wow. So that to me is really helpful. And I think the other problem with the iPad is it's just so intuitive mm -hmm. and, and it's easy to carry around. And yeah, I think parents do think like, oh, it's the iPad. It's so yeah. for some reason, I think it's different. But They're learning all these things. And I think it's the size of it. You know, it's bigger yeah. than a phone. So it's, but it's not as big as the, um, yeah. you know, carrying around a laptop cause they're not going to do yeah. that. So, um, so be on the lookout for that parents. Cause I know a lot of parents that say, oh, we don't have any games in our house, but then you find out they have, their kid has an iPad that they take to bed every night and um, right. they're reading books. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. It's the size it's light, but it's, it's more immersive cause the, yeah. the screen is bigger. Right. Yeah, right. I agree. I think that's definitely it. Okay. So, um, we have with our challenge and all, you know, we have parents that are coming through our group and they are, you know, taking the plunge <laughs> and they're, um, you know, we kind of pre prepare them ahead of time and give them, you know, tips and ideas. And you're exactly right. If they can get some friends to do it with them. Oh my goodness. It's so much easier and it's so much more fun because then your kids can hang out together. Yeah. But some of the, um, some of the, the questions we get, I want to go over just a couple of those because I want you to, and to, to give us your opinion on this, the biggest hurdles um, that they have. And, and you probably have some to share too, but um, what do you um, tell parents that say, well, if I don't give my kids this stuff now, um, then they're going to binge and go crazy later. Like maybe when they are out of the house or if they go play at someone else's house, they're going to go nuts and just want to play video games all the time. So what do you say about that forbidden fruit type of question? Mm -hmm. Are you talking about for the detox or for yeah. in general, like kind of? Well, kind of both. I mean, I mean, yeah. cause for the detox it's short term and you can do anything for a short term, you know, but, yeah. but I think they feel like they're building up this, um, anxiety or this mm. bank of desire that, okay, if we don't let them have it, it's just going to build, 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 and they're going to go crazy and they're going to binge. Um, you know, I, I happen to just in my experience see that really the opposite happens because once you diffuse it and once that kind of doesn't become part of their daily schedule, then it becomes mm -hmm. less interesting. But I, I get their question. It, um, it, there is some validity to that, I think, mm -hmm. but I just think it's not, um, it's not a big enough of a factor as parents mm -hmm. worry about. So the more important factor to me is really what gets fired gets wired, you know, in mm -hmm. the brain. So mm -hmm. if you're constantly, using those pathways those reward pathways with electronics that's what's getting wired and that gets reinforced over and over and over again 
So when you get away from that, you're literally rewiring the brain to be, um, to use those reward pathways in a healthier way, socially and as well as whatever activity they're doing. So that the, um, the pathways become, you know, we do release dopamine when we're having fun, when we're exercising, you know, even when we're eating, but it's much more um, a normal amount. amount, you know, it's not this intense increase of, of do- in dopamine. So we so, kind of get them to get used to that. Yeah. So I think um, they may, they may, you know, go crazy if they're exposed to it and, you know, kind of binge in it. But what we see a lot is that after that happens, the kid's like, oh my gosh, mom, mm-hmm. I feel awful now. You shouldn't, why did you let me play? You know, sometimes <laughs> they even say that. Yeah. And they're crying and then, yeah. you know, and so yeah. it helped it. So I think they, they're, because their frontal lobe is, is working better, which is, that's where you have self-awareness too. Um, then they're able to kind of step back a little bit and see, okay, that made me feel bad. And, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. Not every kid that, you know, doesn't have it all the time, but I just think the forbidden fruit thing is, um, it's, it's more, much more important to just to, to rewire the brain in a way that that's going to be more, um, help the brain integrate as a whole, instead of just having that one pathway, you know, be constantly Mm. stimulated. Absolutely. And I think that parents operate, me included, you know, out of fear. I was fearful that my um, son was going to go crazy and video games were here to stay. So I might as well let him get used to it. But I realized that, that the fear of that binging later, you shouldn't borrow tomorrow's trouble. Like if that's going to happen, then that's going to be maybe something you deal with then when it happens. Right. And um, that you can't borrow that. And the other, the other thing that parents borrow, the other fear that they borrow is that if I do this, my kid's going to be an outcast. They're not going to have any friends. They're, everybody's going to think they're weird, you know? So, and this is the only way they be able to friends. And you kind of touched on that earlier, but again, for that, that myth, because you and I know from our experience that it is a myth that they're not going to have any friends and they're going to be outcast. Um, they're going to be so much more like confident when right. they're more attached to their families. They're doing more healthy activities. But um, do you have any any words for the parents there that think their kids aren't going to have any friends if they basically eliminate? That's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. Sort of I a mean, lifestyle. I've had, you know, sometimes during the during the fast itself, they might not have anyone to play with because I I try to be so strict about the, the fat during the fast. Um, but after that, you know, it kind of weeds out their friends. Like mm. if we just say, you know, he just can't do this anymore, you know, and, the, and you have to talk to the families, the parents and say, you know, when he goes over your house, we're just not, this is what we're doing right now. Can you hang with that? And, if, you know, some parents will say yes. Some parents will say no. Some kids are, you know, so addicted and, you, and those kids, you just, they just kind of get weeded out. Um, yeah. And they, when they, the better friends will kind of stick with it and say, okay, you know, this is just the way, it, this is just the way it is with my friend and yeah. I'm going to work with it. You know, kids do adapt. Yeah. So, um, I haven't seen any, any kids really like lose their friends of anything They're because they're able to socially engage so much better. Their eye contact is better. Their conversation is better. It's longer. It's more in depth. They have more empathy. So you really see that their relationships mature. Um, and again, you know, some of the kids that they're friends with, they might start to feel like I can't relate to this kid anymore. And other ones might 
um, you know, just be a little bit, if they're not as hooked, they, those friendships grow more. So right. I, always, you know, again, it's like, it's worrying about um, watering the flowers when your house is on fire. You know, it's just, <laughs> we have to do, you know, first things first. <laughs> yeah. No, that's everything else will play out, you know, and I think, um, and yeah. kids who are brought up without smartphones, you know, sometimes I see their parents posting, post on Facebook, like, you know, this is the way I brought my kids up. And of course they would argue with me the whole way through. But now that they're adults, they say, uh, now I know why you did that. And I thank you so much. And it really pays off. Yeah. So, um, and the other thing I think is in terms of brain functioning um, is that self-discipline is also a frontal lobe function. Yeah. So the more blood flow you get to that frontal lobe as they're growing up and even into their early 20s, the better discipline they are with their money, with their eating, with their technology use, with exercising, everything. It doesn't mean yeah. you know, that they can't, that they're going to be perfect, but I mean, it's just, you can see a huge difference between kids that were brought up relatively screen-free and kids that weren't. Wow. I mean, it's like the building blocks are there. Like there's just a better foundation. Um, I I love what you just said about that because I have a senior in my house right now and um, still I'm watching the planning ahead part of your brain. <laughs> you know, that's getting there, but it, I'm just watching it develop more and more and how it's still, that's still not altogether connected yet and how I don't, want them wasting all this time on something that's going to be hurting their brain. I want them to yeah. be doing things that are going to help that and, you know, give them responsibilities or whatever it is, but to help them make decisions and um, plan ahead and, you know, think ahead. And, and we have a lot of conversations around relationships and friendships and how to handle situations and which is why we don't do social media for them in our house. I think going out to the world's largest trash dump is definitely not the place that you want to get your life lessons <laughs> learned. So, so do you think it's okay for kids not to have social media when they're teenagers? Is that your deal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the gold standard really is no social media, you know, no smartphone, no, no gaming. They're going to have enough exposure mm -hmm. to screen based technology as it is. Mm -hmm. um, so really, I feel like that. Yeah, I do feel like that's the gold standard. Staying yeah, I, I, I just don't see any good in it, really. Right. Like, so when you weigh the risk and the benefits, right. it doesn't seem to, you know, have. Yeah. Any, and I think when there's when they look at the studies of kids who who um, benefit from it, like an example might be like a transgender child who really isn't getting any support anywhere. And then they find a group that they, you know, online. Mm -hmm. that they feel support, things like that. So, mm -hmm. but to me, but even in that case, that kid needs to be healthy. So what right. we know is that the kids who benefit from it are, are, are the healthiest ones. Mm -hmm. So they already, you know, they're already, their brain is more resilient to begin with. And the kids who are less resilient and more vulnerable, they're the ones who, who um, have the most side effects and, and detrimental effects. So so that's really important too. There's just, there's very little upside and even the upside that there is, it's, it's, it's a gamble. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's almost like the kids who, who are the most at risk are the ones that want it the most. Yes. yes. <laughs> like the kids who are very shy or the kids who are on the spectrum and you know, they feel like this is 
a way for them to socialize, but really, you know, we're just hurting them because then they don't practice face to face. Right, right, right. So, oh my goodness, there's just been so many good things today that we've gone through. We need to wrap up, but let's just summarize a couple of things that we covered. I think, I think the first thing is that we have to all understand the warning signs of when our kids are having problems with screen overuse symptoms. And um, um, Victoria's book is a great place to go for the warning signs. We also have warning signs on our, on our website. Um, we have a Facebook group called the Screen Strong Families. It's a private group where you can come in there and um, just talk about your, your detox. I think detoxing does work and it is necessary. Um, Vicki, I think you agree that, I mean, is there another way to do it? Is it okay to just, I mean, uh, think in your head that you want your kids better? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. I always say it's just, it's the gold standard. I, I feel like cutting down is, it does have benefits if you can cut down, but the difference between cutting down and doing, you know, a four week break is, I can't even, I mean, that's a whole other podcast. It's huge. Right. And I just, you know, that's, that's why I spent several years writing the book and it killed me because I just knew it was so important to, it's such right. a big difference. I mean, not just um, on a quantitative level, but a qualitative level. And just everything physiologically, um, their relationships, their grades go up. I mean, and then and it also shifts the habits in the home. It can just really, you know, so many parents say it changed our lives. Oh, and, yeah. You know, That's but, what we get all the time, too. And yeah. you end up talking start to reading. I mean, it's, yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing. And, and you end up really getting to know your kids yes. better and that feeds all that family attachment and the parent attachment that is so critical. That's really missing in our harried busy world that we live in. It forces yeah. that really to happen because you're spending more yeah. time with mm -hmm. your kids and even doing simple tasks like cleaning out a closet together or planting a garden or, you know, you're just alongside and you're experiencing more presence with each other. And, that is what our kids need. They don't need all this stimulation and the overstimulation that all these interactive screens and, and you've yeah. just done a great job of explaining all that. And then, you know, in, in your book, you've really done a good job of um, helping us understand that better. So thank you so much. Um, I just want to say um, one final thing and then ask if you have any final comments, but I think that the community support is super important, um, which again is why we, We've taken this whole concept, you know, based on your material, based on everything I've learned over the last eight years, making all the mistakes in my own home, and then based on kind of what works in, in families. And probably the most important thing that I see is that you've got to get around other people that are doing this because it's very hard to be isolated um, just on an island. And change usually happens in community. And that's why we're trying um, really hard to make this the best place for moms and dads, you know, to come, um, get that community. Yeah. But what other, other final thing do you want to say? Is there anything else you want to add to the, um, no, I'm just so about? glad you're, you're doing this. Um, as you know, you know, I, I wanted to start a community for the reset myself and it's, it's just, you know, I don't have time and, but, um, I'm glad to be able to point people somewhere. And I think also I want to mention at drdunkley.com slash video games, there's a free, um, very nuts and bolts course for the, for doing the four week fast. It's just like four or five emails. Excellent. Uh, wanna, you know, Say that again. Goes, that goes over what we talked about a little bit more succinctly. Your, the address there again, repeat that. So it's drdunkley.com slash video games. Slash video games. And okay. That's a great resource. And we'll put that, um, 
on our site as well to be sure that parents can get that. Um, so Vicki, thank you so much. We're definitely going to have you back. And um, if anyone has any questions, um, please jot your questions down and we will get them answered. If we get enough of the same question, we will definitely address it again on another um, video. Thank you so much for your time. Stay strong out there. Thank you all for listening today. I hope you leave encouraged and motivated to make even just one small step towards becoming a Screen Strong family. With that in mind, we would love you to join our community, Screen Strong Connect, which is our online forum for families that is off social media, and it's simple to join by going to ScreenStrong.org. If you are on social media and want to find us there, our Facebook group is Screen Strong Families, and our Instagram is at BeScreenStrong. If you would like more information on our 30-day Screen Strong Challenge, becoming a Screen Strong Ambassador, or hosting a Screen Strong Workshop for your community, you can fill out one of our interest forms on our website. And please remember to subscribe to this podcast and share this episode with a friend. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you remove the screen conflicts from your home. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd, and stay strong.